everyone. Today's STL episode is designed to make you think and nothing more. Today I'm going to present to you an idea, I should say a truth, which is going to make very many of you uncomfortable. And the truth is that the Oedipus complex is alive and well within all of us. And until we're willing to admit to that and look at the patterns that are the result of that complex, we will continue to repeat the same patterns in our relationships over and over again. Our neurosis will compel us to not learn from the negative things which we're experiencing. We're doomed to repeat it. We're doomed to condemn ourselves to the very fate which we are trying to avoid. In order to understand this complex, we first have to understand the legend of Oedipus. Oedipus was born to King Laius and Queen Jocasta. Laius visited the oracle at Delphi, who prophesied that his son would grow up to murder his father and marry his mother. Thus, he staked his son out to a field to die of exposure. The baby was found by shepherds and raised by King Polybus and Queen Merope in the city of Corinth. Oedipus visited the oracle at Delphi later in his manhood, and again the oracle told him that he would kill his father and marry his mother. But believing that he was fated to murder his adoptive father and marry his adoptive mother, he left Corinth. Heading to Thebes, Oedipus met an older man in a chariot coming the other way on a narrow road. The two quarreled over who should give way, which resulted in Oedipus killing the stranger and continuing on to Thebes. He found that the king of the city, Laius, had been recently killed and that the city was at the mercy of the Sphinx. The Sphinx would kill anyone who could not give the correct answer to a riddle. Oedipus answered the monster's riddle correctly, defeating it and winning the throne of the dead king and the hand of the marriage of the king's widow, Jocasta. Oedipus and Jocasta had two sons and two daughters. In his search to determine who killed Laius, and thus end the plague on Thebes, Oedipus discovered it was in fact he who had killed the late king, his true birth father, and he had married his true birth mother, Jocasta. He had fulfilled the prophecy, the very prophecy which he was trying to avoid. Jocasta also soon realized that she had married her own son, and she hanged herself. Oedipus seized two pins from her dress and blinded himself with them. The lesson inherent here is multifold. The first being that we are fated to experience the very thing that we resist. The second being that we are destined to symbolically have a sexual relationship with the opposite sex parent and to develop a rivalry with our same sex parent. Before I continue, I want to let you know that for any of you who might be gay or lesbian, this also applies. However, when it comes to you, it can be true that this complex is reversed, meaning that you develop your sexual relationship, that bond, to the same-sex parent and the rivalry to the opposite-sex parent instead. So you might want to look at those patterns if you're exploring this complex in your own life. Oedipus complex is a deeply ingrained part of our psyche. If we were made to feel guilty for the sexual desires which we had, 
by somebody getting mad at us for masturbating or being chastised for nudity, then we become at war with ourselves. Basically, we have a desire on one hand and guilt which pulls against that desire. That internal opposition is what creates neurosis. As a woman, you are destined to be in a romantic relationship with your father. As a man, you are destined to be in a romantic relationship with your mother and play out the painful dynamics that were present between you and that parent again and again. Oedipus complex, simply put, is the subconscious desire to unify with the parent of the opposite sex. That desire to bond manifests in the animal kingdom as the desire for sexual involvement. And Oedipus complex, simply put, is the accompanying subconscious rivalry with the parent of the same sex. We will play out the dynamic that we had with our parents over and over again. I explained this briefly in a previous video when I touched on the concepts of love reincarnation. That is, that when you don't get the love that you needed from one of your parents, you continually are attracted to people that remind you of that particular parent so that you can get the outcome to be different than it was with your parent. Meaning that if I have abandonment issues because my dad abandoned me, if I can find a guy who has personality traits that reminds me of the man who abandoned me, my father, and I can get him to not abandon me, then I have subconsciously solved my daddy issues. What we must understand is that we're not just trying to get the love that we needed from that one parent that we didn't get the love we needed from. And the one that most of us really wanted to bond with is our opposite sex parent. What we really need to understand is that we are playing out the entire dynamic of our relationship with our parents. Those dynamics are the shadows which have to be looked at. They're the ones that keep coming up over and over again. It's the reason that no matter what, you can't seem to stop having the same thing happen in your romantic relationships. I want to explain why our system does this. Our biological system seeks to repeat these patterns so as to help us heal from them. That's why we have love reincarnations. That's why the Oedipus complex plays out into our adulthood. When your psyche comes up against pain or trauma that it cannot resolve, it must suppress the feelings associated with the experience. When you are a child, you cannot resolve the trauma, so you must suppress those feelings. We suppress them so far that most of us cannot even remember the rivalry with our same-sex parent, cannot even remember the feeling of the sexual attraction to our opposite-sex parent. But that doesn't mean that those feelings were never there. And suppression does not do anything for healing. Instead, your entire personality becomes stuck on that experience. It plays out like a skipping CD, and the CD cannot resume playing i.e. you cannot progress past it towards healing, until the pattern is recognized, the original pain is revisited, and that part of you is fully accepted. We are always attracted to people based on our expansion. The universe hopes, using the laws of the universe, which is the laws of attraction, that if you keep coming up against the same pattern over and over again, the same reflection over and over again, only each time it gets bigger and bigger, eventually you will recognize the pattern, recognize the reflection. You will own up to it. You will shift your frequency, and by virtue of doing that, be a match to new experiences. That there is the heart of expansion. So the universe is not trying to punish you, 
by continuing to give you the same experience over and over again. It's trying to aid your expansion. When we are young, we have a difficult time conceptualizing of nuances and contradictions. For this reason, we cannot conceptualize that the very parent that causes us pleasure is also the very parent that is causing us pain. Because of this, we split our idea of our parents in two. We have a relationship with two different parents inside one body. We have a relationship with the good parent and a relationship with the bad parent. For example, me as a female, I have a relationship with my good dad and my bad dad, but they are both the same person. It's a coping strategy which we use. The thing we must understand is that we are always attracted in our relationships to the qualities that we associate with our good parent. And what ends our relationships is the fact that as the relationship progresses, we start seeing qualities and traits that are more like our bad parent. This would be all well and good if it were not for the fact that the minute that we start seeing the bad parent traits in the person that we've become attracted to, we start acting out against them. We suppressed all of those emotions in our childhood, you see. We couldn't act out relative to those emotions that we were feeling. But now is our opportunity. And so we let those emotions go, not towards the person who actually created those feelings, which is our parent, but towards the reflection of our parent, which is our spouse. If you want to recognize your neurotic patterns and change them, it is essential to take a serious look at how you play out your childhood dynamic with your parents now in your adulthood. Let go of caring what is true or not true relative to your childhood. That means I don't want you to care what your parents' perspective is of your childhood, what your brother or sister's perspective was of your childhood. The only thing you should be thinking about is your perspective of your childhood. Your experiences, your feelings, your entire future that you're living right now is the result of your perspective of your childhood. So it's all that matters. And the only way you can heal is if you address that perspective. Whether it's based in reality or not, nobody can judge that. That's not a matter that's up for deliberation. It is your perspective, and you are affected based on your perspective. So, what was your perspective of the dynamic in your household growing up? What's your perspective of your relationship with your father? What's your perspective of your relationship with your mother, your siblings? Are there any patterns you noticed in your family? It's really important that you write those down. Now it's time to look at the patterns that you're seeing in your romantic relationships. Have you noticed any tendencies? Have you noticed any patterns repeat themselves? Now can you find a correlation between those patterns and the patterns that you discovered from your perspective on your childhood dynamic? Then, with your opposite sex parent, or if you want to with your same sex parent, you could do both. Write down a list of good traits that they have. This is your view of your good parent. Then write down the list of the negative things about them. This is your identification of the negative character traits of your bad parent. And compare those to the people who you've been attracted to. 
you will notice that the people you're attracted to very closely match the traits that you found in your good parent. Look at your list of bad parent traits and look at your previous relationships, the relationships that haven't worked out or are currently not working out. How are they the same as the traits which you wrote down on your bad parent list? For some of us, our feelings that we had in our childhood are so deeply suppressed that we can't even feel those feelings relative to the parent that they're directed at. Instead, they only surface towards the people who we're romantically involved with. For example, a woman may have suppressed their desperate fear and rage at being abandoned by their father. But they don't feel any fear and they don't feel any rage when they think of their father directly. Rather, that rage and fear surfaces and is expressed towards every man that this woman is involved with romantically. Awareness is the very first step and the most important step when it comes to transforming your point of attraction, especially relative to your romantic relationships. <laughs> so, at this point, we just want to notice these patterns and start objectively looking at whether we are carrying out a complex which was developed in our early childhood so as to try to find some kind of healing from it. But now I want to talk to you about the most important part of the Oedipus Complex. It is that we are destined to create the very fate which we are trying to avoid. This idea goes hand in hand with our knowledge of the Law of Attraction, that whatever you resist persists. If you struggle against fate, it wraps its coils around you even tighter. For example, when we are trying to avoid the original pain of abandonment caused by our fathers, by finding a man like our fathers to stay with us, but our emotions towards our fathers comes out towards our new lovers, we are destined to be left. We are destined to be abandoned again and again. Or if we experience rejection from our mothers, potentially in our future relationships, we will try to push buttons subconsciously to see if women will leave us. We make ourselves so difficult to live with that we are going to align with the fate of women rejecting us. And so we have created the very fate which we've been trying to avoid. When we suppress something, it becomes part of our personality. And then it becomes part of our character. To try to ignore or deny a problem that is part of one's personality is impossible. This only suppresses it and grades it into the personality further. To try to overcome a part of your personality is to turn one part of yourself against another part of yourself. That is to wage an internal war. That is never going to end in healing. And to try to overcome a problem that is part of one's personality is to turn part of yourself against another part of yourself. It is to wage an internal war. It is to commit ourselves by our thoughts, words, and actions to the very fate we are trying so desperately to avoid. This is the heart of neurosis. The defenses that we erect to protect us create the very condition we are trying to avoid. I teach people how to create their own reality. But sometimes our resistance is so great. Sometimes our problems are so ingrained into our very personality that we cannot create what we want to create. No part of us could ever believe that it is possible. When this is the case, what to do is fairly counterintuitive. 
Instead of trying to create what you want to create, we release resistance by accepting our fate, by accepting that what we think is going to happen is going to happen. We find thoughts, things to say and things we can do that genuinely help us to feel better about that impending fate which is inevitable. If a problem has become an integral part of your personality, you can never try to overcome it. The entire self-help industry is set up around the idea that it is possible to overcome some part of yourself, but it isn't. If you consider it part of yourself, then any amount of trying to overcome it or fight against it is you putting yourself at war with yourself. It's masochism. And it never lends to healing. So, for example, if my personality is identified with suffering, I've suffered so many times that now I can't believe that it's possible for my life to be anything other than that. I want it not to be true, so I spend my entire day trying desperately to be happy, pulling against the truth that is an integral part of my being that I will suffer for the rest of my life. Then I will suffer for the rest of my life. I'm trying to avoid it, and by avoiding it, I am going to create the very fate I'm trying to avoid. So the remedy is to find a way, find thoughts to think, things to say, things to do, which will genuinely make me feel okay about the idea that I am going to suffer for the rest of my life. This is not the same thing as lying to yourself. You can't tell yourself things you don't believe, which cause you to feel bad, but you're trying to make you feel good about the fact that you're going to suffer for the rest of your life. They have to be things that genuinely make you feel better about that impending fate. I understand that this particular video is going to frustrate certain people. It's the last thing most of us want to hear. But you have to be honest about your level of resistance and honest about whether your problems have become an integral part of your character and personality. For anyone who would like to learn more about the Oedipus Complex and how that relates to your current relationships and the way you currently live your life, I would suggest a book called Fear of Life by Dr. Alexander Lowen. I understand that this particular video is going to be frustrating to a great many of you who have spent your life trying to pull in the opposite direction of what you consider to be your fate, even on a subconscious level. Most of us are not willing to own up to what we actually think is true. We especially use spirituality to try to convince ourselves that truth is not what we actually think is true. That's why so many of us love to think that we believe that we create our own reality when the reality is we don't think we do. I am asking you to step into self-awareness, to look at your patterns directly in the face, and to look at the fate which you are convinced you are going to line up with, even if you may want to tell yourself otherwise. This video may seem highly counterintuitive and contradictory to some of the things which I have taught before, because I teach you how to align with what you want to have be true. But this is only possible if you are capable of changing your beliefs, and it just so happens that when problems and beliefs are so deeply ingrained into us that they have become part of our personality, it's highly unlikely that we will be able to do that. It's more likely that all of the things we tell ourselves 
will instead be causing us to be at war with what we think is true for us. We will pit ourselves in a war against our true nature. And this does not create healing. And so, I'm asking you to be brave enough to be counterintuitive. If there are aspects of you that believe in a certain fate, release resistance to that fate by becoming okay with it happening. I promise you that the second you do this, those coils that are wrapped tightly around you will loosen and then you are free. Have a good week.